Hey, what's up guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and Sourcefine Asia. This week's episode, uh, Mike and I Skyped in with Winston Tam. He is a successful entrepreneur from Canada, uh, specifically Vancouver. He had two successful Kickstarter campaigns. The first one was the all-season sweats. They raised about $25,000 Canadian and then the ruggy which was $461,000 Canadian as well uh on Kickstarter that's the most recent one i think that was uh in january of this year and yeah we just sat down and talked about what he's learned from doing two kickstarter campaigns uh the reasons why he has stopped really pursuing all season sweats and uh you know the differences between that product and this product and uh you know i think it was a fantastic episode i think that you know winston all around is just he's a he's a really good guy first of all and then second he's smart and you know he has a lot of good mindsets i think his whole philosophy and i agree with him as well is like it's it's very much about your mindset and business and how you approach things um i know a lot of you guys are wondering like but uh, what happened to the chili episode? But why? Where's the chili episode? And, uh, you know, I imagine that most of our listeners are like Russian dudes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the chili episode's still in the pipeline. It's just, it, it's it's taken a while for me to edit that. And then as well, the this episode I felt was something I didn't want to sit on. And I felt like I was just excited when I when I... Epi- uh, recorded this episode and spoke to Winston so I was like man I just want to re- release this right now instead of waiting three weeks because we have uh, quite a few episodes in the pipeline so um, that's why I just want to release this week and um, I think that you guys are going to enjoy it so without further ado I don't want to be a product of my environment I want my environment to be a product of me <laughs> Like, are you situated? I am situated. I am all the way good. Can you hear outside noises and like... Uh, I heard a car door closing. That was my car door <laughs> closing. I'm in the car. That's where I record podcasts. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my dojo. This international businessman over here. <laughs> Living out my car. Okay. Okay. All right. I, let's just uh, let's just get started. I'll do the introduction post post production. Right. Right. Uh, so, Winston, man, like, uh, why don't you just start with a little bit of your life story? All right. So, um, um, I was born here in Hong Kong, and then when I was five years old, um, the whole family migrated to Vancouver, and been growing up there ever since. Then, when I graduated. In 2012, I came back to Hong Kong. I lived in Guangzhou for a bit. And um, that brings us to here now. I uh, finally made it to the Source Fine Asia. I <laughs> finally made it to Source Fine you Asia, made it China podcast. I mean, that's where you know you've hit the, the, the peak of your life is once you're on this podcast. <laughs> Elevated your status. You can just, just retire afterwards. Because you know? there's just no point. There's no point of, of yeah, trying yeah. to do anything bigger than this. Um, 
That's cool, man. Like, so, okay, so why did you come back? Why did you decide to move to Hong Kong and then Guangzhou in 2012? Um, so Vancouver is like, it's a very small place, I would say. Growing up there, you kind of know everybody. Uh, gets boring. Um, I don't know. It just felt like China was, was on the rise at the time. And I mm-hmm. felt like, hey, I got to go check it out. That's interesting that you say Vancouver is small because I feel like, like okay, so Toronto, Toronto is small relative to Guangzhou and and Hong Kong, and I feel like people in Toronto, people in Vancouver, probably think that it's big, like <laughs> who haven't traveled, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I mean, I'm, it is a big city. Those are the two biggest cities in Canada. Right? Yeah, they're the, literally the two largest cities in Canada. But like, it's like relative, you know. It is relative. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, in Guangzhou, a city the size of—I mean, in China, mainland, the city the size of Toronto or Vancouver is just a third-tier city, you know. Yeah. So it's like, man, I'm I'm in Chicago now, and Chicago is a big city, but mm-hmm. it it doesn't feel big when I'm here compared to China. Yeah, because you you've you're acclimatized. You've been you've been, you know. <laughs> and the, the thing is, you see the same people mm-hmm. if you go out a sure. lot. Right, and sure. it makes it feel like it's really small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're a part of a certain scene. Yeah, constantly seeing those same people, but mm-hmm. that happens in, in China as well. Yeah, that yeah. that does yeah. happen in China, but you even can, though, you even can change you're in a it city up. with 17 million people, it's crazy when it, people. It's crazy when it happens in China, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But that just tells me that I'm doing the same shit over and over again, <laughs> and I need to change it up, you know. <laughs> Such a small world. No, you're a no, no. You just you just no. boring. You just you just keep on doing the same things over and over again. You need to you need to spice up your life, like the Spice Girl said. <laughs> um, all right, man. So it's cool. So then you you're in Guangzhou for a bit. You joined EC, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you join EC before you moved to to China, or or did you join after? Um. So what I did was I. Before EC, I actually just went up to Shenzhen. I mean, I went up to Guangzhou by myself. I booked this place at a hostel. Mm-hmm. And I just went up and I was like, let's check this place out. Just walked around, talked to a bunch of random people and came back down. And I was like, man, this place is crazy. Then I talked to Nick from EC and then I joined, went up again. And I think the very next person I met was uh, Mike. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember yeah. you were living at that hostel, man. Yeah, I lived there for a long time. I remember I saw you first time, and uh, you bought me coffee at the Pacific, some Pacific coffee place. But uh, even yeah, before that, even before then, I saw your videos, like like how to source or whatever. Oh, cool! The Doc Stock videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, so at the time, what I really wanted to do was source for people as well, because I came from. I just came back from Vancouver. I came from like an entrepreneur's meetup from the book, The Millionaire Fast Thing. And mm-hmm. they have a meetup every year. And all these guys were like, what are you doing? You live in, you're living in Hong Kong. We all have problems with Chinese factories. Why don't you source for us? Why don't, why don't you solve this problem for us? So that was the original plan. Mm-hmm. That's why I went to China, went, joined EC and all that. And you did start to do some sourcing because I remember you sent a couple people my way. You had asked me about a couple different projects, right? You So you initially yeah. started it and tried to take some things on, no? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did, but um, I just, I couldn't. 
I couldn't handle it. It wasn't my type of business structure, you know, because you're in the middle of two people and you have to negotiate with the factory, then you have to negotiate with the client. And so many times the sample, you send it to them, they're like, we don't like it. It's like, ah, what am I doing? You You just didn't like having to deal with that, the pull back and forth, or you you just didn't like the fact that you you weren't passionate about what you were making. Exactly. I wasn't passionate about it. And um, it wasn't really, it couldn't fully be hands off in my opinion, you know? Mm -hmm. I would always have to be in it somehow. I say, I say, like sourcing is probably one of the quickest things you can get started in China, but it's also one of the most difficult things that you can. Yeah, do. it's very difficult. So it's either you, if you're gonna go in, you need to have a certain, like you need to have a, maybe a certain personality type to be like okay, right, to to, right. to handle some of the the nonsense that goes on with the factories. And you guys, like you guys, uh, I'm sure you guys see this a lot. Like your clients think it's so easy to get something done <laughs> they have no idea how things work in china we, we have like different. one we have one client right now that is perfectly described like that don't do it don't i'm do not it. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say his name i'm not even gonna talk about the project <laughs> just i'm just you already narrowed down a sex yeah come on it's like 80 percent of our clients are male so it doesn't matter <laughs> um you know, it's just you know he he just assumes that things are easy to get done, but then he's not really willing to kind of work with us because we will be explaining. Okay, you know, I think for the factory is going to say this or whatever, and then no, but they're a factory; they should do it. It's like, well, we've been sourcing for a while here, so I think we know what we're talking yeah. about. I I always used to say, man, before I I feel like now the the clients we deal with are 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 more mature and advanced in this facet that we're talking about but I always used to say when I first started and I didn't have you know the 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 resource of the website that we have now where we have a lot of things described out on on the process and how it works I always used to say that a lot of clients kind of in in my opinion viewed China as like a giant Walmart you know like like the factories are like a big Walmart well why can't you you know just uh, go and grab this for me you know what I mean like (laughs) No man, it's, it doesn't work like that. You have to tell them what you want. You got to be very specific. It takes time to go back and forth. Like they don't just have your product sitting on a shelf. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's man, it's intense, man. All right, it's, so yeah. So then, okay, you join EC. I'm sure you saw the blueprints. What? When was the switch where you're like, okay, I'm gonna go into crowdfunding? Right. So, um, I looked at the blueprints in there. And I also met a bunch of guys who already did six-figure campaigns, so Mike being one of them, and then Tim, Nick, and then I met uh, Ryan, and all these guys have over six-figure campaigns, and I was like, hey, the hell, like, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Look at me, like, I'm born in Hong Kong, I should be able to do this shit. It's my birthright. <laughs> do you speak Mandarin or Cantonese? I don't speak Mandarin, but I speak Cantonese. Okay. But I can't, I can't read or write, so I'm pretty whitewashed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so at the time, I was actually teaching. Uh, I, I got a job. I was teaching English as well, teaching these little brats English. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, funny story. Like, like my English is fluent. You know, I'm very good at English. 
but I would never get paid as much as a white guy. Mm. Never. They would look at me and be like, man, I know, I know you have a Canadian passport, but look at you. It's like, <laughs> it's like, we can't. The parents look at you, they think you're a, you're a Chinese guy. You're not going to get paid as much. There's this, um, there's this, there's this, uh, I don't, I don't know what you call them. Anyway, there's a video I saw on, on Yoku. It was made within China in, in Beijing and they kind of did a, uh, a, a skit about that. You know, this black guy walks into a, uh, into a school and he's dressed in a suit and just, you know, super qualified, has the list, you know, he's, he's like, I graduated from Harvard with an education degree and he's speaking with like perfect English. And the lady behind the counter is like, uh, I don't, I don't think you're a good fit. And then the next, the, the next person comes along and it's like this fat white dude who's drinking a beer and like belching and, and the lady's like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is great. You know? And that's how it is. Unfortunately in China, you know, they, they yeah. want you to look the part rather than than being qualified for the part yeah china china is crazy man but yeah that's how it was and i was surviving off that job and and not long after that i launched the kickstarter campaign all season sweats and yeah that was the beginning of the crowdfunding journey nice um it is changing though i would say the climate it depends on where you go like uh one of the like the school that i was teaching at was like completely super innovative and open-minded and stuff and i guess that's because they were they just started like a year now two years ago so i think that there's like a little bit of a tide shifting in that well, they, they were also a, a younger uh startup type company that's right? what they i said younger yeah, staff. Two, two years okay. ago well no i mean the the the, no, the, the bosses the, 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 the bosses older. were the bosses were older the bosses were oh, okay. like in their 50s and 60s right. but like they just were traveled i guess they you know the uh, one of the bosses I, I met spoke almost perfect english and he had like worked in colombia or something like that like you know so just... <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it should be because i think your kids are here to learn english yeah, yeah at the end of the day it's like are they learning english or do they want to tell people like yeah my kid's being taught by this blonde, blonde <laughs> with yeah. blue eyes like, yeah i think that's what they really want you know do you have, do you have a picture <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so yeah, we're getting into like the campaigns. So the first campaign you did was the All Season Sweats, and you raised what twenty five k Canadian. Yeah, yeah, raised twenty five k from that. Nice. And um, yeah, and then what were the All Season Sweats? Just for anyone that doesn't all right. know. So All Season Sweats, it, they're the jogger style sweatpants, and the unique part about them is made out of they're made out of merino wool. And uh, merino wool has very good temperature regulating properties. So, so you know they'll keep you very warm in the winter, and they'll keep you cooler in the summer compared to other material. Winston, are you still uh, operating that company? Um, you know the website's still live, and we do get sales every once in a while, and I still have lots of stock, but. I'm not running any ads to it. The marketing is has stopped. All my resources are focused on the new product right now, which we'll get into right about now. Right. So I, I just would like to interject that at this point. Um, I remember I hadn't seen you for a while, and I was coming out of somewhere, I think in Newtown or somewhere, and I ran into you. It was the first time in a long time I had seen you, and it was after the uh, the sweats campaign, and I kind of said. 
you know, hey, man, I saw that, you know, you got funded. Congratulations. You know, it's it's a great thing. You know, are you stoked? Where's this thing going? And I just remember you were like, ah, you know, I wasn't I'm not too happy with the way it went. You know, it went OK, but I think it could have went better. And you're like, I got something big. I got something big going. <laughs> you know, and then you told me you told me about Ruggies. And I was just like, man, I love it. I was like, that is that is going to kill. That's a perfect Kickstarter product. I remember that 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 very clearly. Yeah, yeah. This is in Hong Kong or something, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe Hong Kong, GZ. I forget where it was, but I definitely remember that conversation. What? Yeah, you... yeah. So I want to say I wasn't happy with that at all because, like I said, I saw all these guys in EC doing six figures, and like my mind was set on six figures. So, wh- so what do you think? I mean, because I'm sure a lot of people um, listening would be like, "Well, I mean, you got a, you got funded. Like you requested a certain amount of money, you got it. So why 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 were you not satisfied with that? Like." What what was the was it just you weren't satisfied with the amount or you weren't satisfied with the product itself and you felt like you could you could launch a better product or overall, right you know what, what was it so the product itself and the and the category that I was in like so apparel like it's a very competitive niche and also to be very um, competitive in this niche you need to always come up with new styles yeah every season like the top brands out there every season they have new new designs and that's you should not be like I'm... bro my shit is all season man <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i wanted to step away from it it just didn't align with my my uh where i wanted to go in life you know yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, like you have to be coming up with new designs because once people get that first version, they they're looking for the next one. You know, within six months, like they want to get the next. Yeah, so, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. How did you just really quickly just to wrap up the whole season? So it's like, what what were your? How did you learn how to launch a campaign? Like, what did you what did you do that what what did you do that you think made it successful? Right. So, I think. Um, a successful campaign, a lot of times you'll see a lot of products that aren't really all that innovative on Kickstarter and they do very, very well. And it just really comes down to really uh, telling your story and uh, connecting with the audience on there. So it comes down to marketing. And so fortunately, I do come from a marketing background. I used to do affiliate marketing. And um I think we had a really, really good sales video and it connected with the crowd, especially the the crowd that works out a lot and they do have shitty sweatpants and they want better ones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> but it didn't do as well as I wanted to, you know, did you, did you spend uh, any, did you spend a large amount of money up front to get the campaign going or did, was it more of a bootstrap? It, it was definitely a bootstrap for the video. Um, went back to Vancouver. We had I have a friend, uh, high school. Actually, we we go way back. He just started a video production company, and I said, "Hey, I'll give you one percent of the campaign if you help us shoot our video." And he did it. So, so the video and the actors they all got to cut up the campaign. So it was very bootstrap. It was. The money wasn't up front. It was when the money came in, then I paid everybody. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's a smart strategy, you know, like if you can leverage those kind of relationships 
Um, for sure. You know, to give somebody a small percentage of, of the campaign. And, you know, if your campaign is, is big enough, it's not really going to matter in the grand grand scheme of things, right? Yeah, and I thought it was going to blow up. I was like, yeah, this is going to be huge. <laughs> 1% of 700K is 7K. <laughs> <laughs> And so yeah, you were hyping people that, up. Yo, we're gonna make seven so million dollars. <laughs> so, and then I guess why do you think it didn't blow up? Um, <laughs> what happened was uh, so I had I was building a list. I was validating the product. I was building a list on Instagram, and we had over like three hundred people subscribe. And uh, I think what I did wrong is that even though I did have a decent sized list. Well, 300 is not a lot, but in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, 300 people signed up. They're all going to, they all want it. But what I did wrong is I didn't, um, I didn't build a good launch to the list. I really should make the launch an, an event, you know, keep sending them emails send a sequence of emails to hype it up. But at the time, I didn't know anything about email marketing. So the day of the launch, I sent one email. I was like, I was like, yeah, we launched today. Check it out. And the first five hours, like nobody pledged. Like my heart just sank. It was terrible. <laughs> it was the worst feeling ever. But uh, we did get featured on a local blog called Van City Buzz. And from there, we got a lot of traction from that. So shout out to Van City Buzz. They saved my ass. Nice. Nice. All right. So then uh, you, you launched that one. Like you said, Mike touched on Ruggy just, just now. So. Right. How did you how did you discover Ruggy? How, how, what was that process like? Was it how soon after the campaign was that even? It was um, as as I was uh, producing all season sweats. Oh, really? Before I shipped, I had this idea. Wow. Yeah. So so yeah, I had this idea because I I overcame. You know, I used to be. Uh, late sleeper, but I overcame it with with this one, one strategy I learned from the book Think and Grow Rich. So Think and Grow Rich, they really advocated um, changing your subconscious mind to attract like whatever wealth that you seek. So the first thing they do, or in chapter two, what they tell you to do is um, write down your definite chief aim in life and read it every morning and read it every night before you sleep, and slowly you brainwash yourself and attract this stuff and it worked the idea of ruggy just came from that and you know ruggy uh for those listening ruggy is a clock that's also a rug and so when it rings you got to get up and step on it and but the thing is when you step on it you can program it to say something so i wanted to set it so it says your ultimate chief aim in life so you know it makes it easier for you to um, change your subconscious mind to be successful at whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So that's really where it came from. And not long after I shipped, I began uh, making prototype for it. Thing, the thing that I find interesting about Winston, Mike, I don't know if you agree with me, is like out of uh, the majority of the EC guys, like I really didn't know 
what the fuck Winston was doing. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like it's just quiet, man. Like, and then you just come out with an all-season boom. And it's like silence. Come out with a ruggy boom, four hundred and sixty thousand in your face. It's like <laughs> it's just like I've always been because it's just weird for me because I know a lot of the um, inter-China community is very much rah rah. Hey guys, this is what I'm doing. Um, and then with Winston, you just be quiet, you know, doing his own thing, and then you just come out with like a finished product. So, is that like a is that a conscious thing where you just when you're when you're grinding you just want to focus or is it something that you're just naturally uh, is that something that you just your personality like well, how does it what is that about? Yeah, that's uh, that's something that I just do naturally. I mm-hmm. think you know because at the end of the day, it, it's all about the hard work, right? And mm-hmm. once you talk about it before it's done, it kind of takes away the takes away the drive, you know, it kind of, it takes something away from it. You know, it gives you a sense of pleasure. Like, yeah, guys, I'm doing this. You feel good for a bit, but it's like, but if you don't tell anybody, you just, just stay on the grind and grind it out. And then it's like, yo guys, I'm done. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is what I've been doing. You know, I I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but like, it just seems like a lot of people suffer with that, like the ability to just do things by themselves without any sort of outside stimulation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, because sometimes they feel like they need people to push them. Right. Sure. Whereas I feel like if you need people to push you all the time, like it's it's one thing to have people push you sometimes when you maybe you, you get a little bit lazy or whatever. But if you need people to push you all the time, there's something wrong there. You have to be able to self-motivate. Right. And it's also dangerous when you do that. Yeah. yeah. Because you're getting, you're going to get feedback from friends and family, most mm-hmm. likely, right? And they're going to support you no matter what. So if you're like, if you're like, hey, guys, I'm doing this product. They're going to be like, oh, good for you, man. Yeah, that's true. Wish, that's you, true. wish you best of luck. But Those don't. 30 people that are close to you in your life are going to be rah-rahing you on. <laughs> Yeah, but the only thirty people <laughs> that, that come down to it that are supporting you. Yeah, and they won't even buy it. They're not even gonna buy it. They're gonna, yeah. you know, you need real, uh, real market response. You need to validate it through the market. So, with Ruggy, I validated a year before I launched through some ads and a landing page. So I knew I knew people wanted it. Not my friends or family. I didn't really ask them, but I asked the market itself. And I was like, okay, market wants it. I'm going to grind it out. And um, a year later, finally came out with it. And also, those reading, I mean, those listening right now that do suffer from um, internal resistance when you do try to work, a really good book about this is called um, The Art of War by Stephen Pressfield. And it just completely talks about resistance and how to overcome it. It's amazing, amazing book. So that um, what was I going to say? That speaking of your landing page, like uh, you can see a very clear improvement from the all season sweats to to ruggy. Uh, what did you learn about crafting like a landing page? Did you do that yourself, or was that outsourced? Right, I did. I did all of it myself. All the illustrations, all the copy. Um, yeah, but all this came from my affiliate marketing background. And the, the big difference between Ruggy and All Season Sweats is that Ruggy solves a real problem that everybody has, whereas All Season Sweats is more of a manufactured problem. Mm-hmm. 
you know? And um, I think I think that's what differentiates the two products by, by a lot. That, what do you think in the Ruggy campaign? Because like I said earlier, you guys made 460K. What, what was the smallest thing you did that brought you the largest results with this campaign? Um, I think... I think uh, what happened was I'm also bootstrapping for this as well. I had no funds after I developed it. And at, so with the video with Aussie and Sweats, the sales video, we actually had a dispute. And at the end, we left on very bad terms because they wouldn't take the 1% and they ended up taking 2K. And this time around, I was like, man, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't afford 2K for a video. And I had an old video camera, and I was like, I'm going to do this myself. And I literally sat down for a month, and I learned how to use Adobe Premiere, Adobe After Effects. And then my brother was in town. I was like, yo, shoot this video of me. I just need a couple clips. And then I think that itself, having control over your video making process, changed everything. Because mm-hmm. then I can fully express how I feel to the audience instead of some company trying to trying to translate what I'm thinking to the crowd, you know? Do you think, what, what do you think versus, you know, like having a, a friend, not the same situation you had with the sweats, but, you know, having someone who just basically shoots for you, you know, you have ultimate control, you decide how the video rolls, but, um, you know, they're actually responsible for, for maneuvering the camera and taking taking the video for it. Would you still say that would be not not as worth it as doing the route that you did and actually learning how to uh, operate these programs and, and figure a way that you could do it yourself? Well, if they're just a good videographer and they're not a mm-hmm. good copywriter, then right. yeah, by all means. But at then, but like the scene matters so much as well, right? So you'll have to plan out the scene for them. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing a clock, a clock has a built-in image of a bedroom. Right. So so you got to tell the guy, like, shoot, shoot a cool clip in the bedroom or something like that. So. So, yeah, in that sense, it's great. Let them shoot it. But if you're going to have them choose a scene as well, like that might that might ruin the, the sales video a bit, in my opinion. You took in a lot of the creative process because you come from a marketing background. But there's a lot of people that will start this and they're more, you know, artists or they they come from like a more of a technical background. Maybe um, maybe they were an accountant before or whatever. Like, do you think they could still achieve the same results by yeah. outsourcing? Or do you think that they should take the time to learn how to do all these things prior to launching the campaign? They should at least they should at least read a couple of books on um, marketing before just throwing off to some guy Mm -hmm. because that way you'll know at least a little bit about it right so i recommend reading um breakthrough advertising this is like the holy grail of marketing books and then an easier read is called cash advertising so if you read these two books you'll be you'll be you'll have more knowledge in marketing than i would say 90 percent of the the population nice i'm I'm definitely gonna get out those yeah that's that's just to kind of reiterate what you said, that's such an important part of the crowdfunding process. I mean, us being in China, 
for so long, we usually get kind of firsthand view of a new upcoming product, you know? Yeah. You know, we, we kind of saw that, uh, what do you call them? The hoverboards were going <laughs> to blow up before everybody in, in the world had them. You know what I mean? So there's been so many times where I've checked into Kickstarter and Indiegogo and I've seen a product up there and, you know, it, it may have something that looks kind of innovative and new, but that's an OEM product. That's yes. somebody took that straight off a of factory's web, you know, straight off of, from, off of a factory showroom maybe added a couple colors and a logo to it. And now they're making 150 plus thousand dollars on their, on their campaign. And that's all through marketing and how they present it to, to the audience. Yeah. But that kind of, that kind of messes with their conscience a bit, you know, as they're kind of gaming the system. Like, uh, I'm sure most I, people I mean, don't care. I, I was just gonna say, man, <laughs> like I, I, I got this money, of, man. <laughs> I know a couple personally. They seem to, uh, not give a shit Winston you're you're assuming that everyone has a heart like (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy there's there's one on Indiegogo right now called the Kaiser or something and it's like an inflatable name names Winston name (laughs) names I love it it's called it's like an inflatable thing that you sleep on like this, uh, you can tell there's just an OEM product. They mm-hmm. probably put a logo and a couple pockets on there, whatever. Well, I these think guys, the, uh, Kickstarter has been uh, trying to crack down on these things, right? Like, yeah, Kickstarter is very strict about this stuff. They're very strict about it. But Indiegogo, is there is is this pro- <laughs> is this product doing well? They already got funded at three million dollars. Oh my! No, God. seriously? U.S. and seriously, it's crazy. It's, oh, uh, Jesus! I know. And then someone else tried to do this at Kickstarter and they got shut down. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think I heard about that. Yeah, it's nuts. It's crazy. And if you look at it, it's like, how hard is it to make this product? You know, it's like, it's just a piece of cloth. These guys are banking it. It's nuts. <laughs> That's incredible, Winston. So for the ruggy, can you just kind of walk me through the timeline from the conception of idea to getting funded to where you are right now? Just quickly right so um i would say the product idea came to me in february of 2014 and for the rest of that year it was just all building a list um asking the list what what they would like um so getting market research and developing the prototype and making the campaign writing the copy, shooting a good video. And then we launched on January 3rd of 20... Wait, what am I talking about? That was... Tw- yeah, it was 2016. Well, I'm getting mixed up on my years, man. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so we, launched, we, launched on, uh, we launched on January 3rd of 2016 for 60 days. And then the year before that, yeah, the year before that, 2015 was when the idea came and we were building a launch not 2014 mm-hmm. right so that was it and then the estimated delivery date was like what uh september september did you hit that awesome oh we're not in september yet we're still yeah, september oh yeah, september. September. <laughs> yeah 2016 i'm i'm mixing up the years <laughs> <laughs> Um, how difficult is it to to sort of like okay so you have this huge mega campaign you have probably hundreds thousands of, of backers 
how difficult is it to manage the the happiness because i remember when i talked to luke he was like you know even though maybe the same thing you know you said september in my mind i'm thinking i want it to come faster you know yeah. <laughs> like i might be like uh, sending you some some messages like bro where my where's my ragi man yeah so yeah i get that sometimes but yeah. it's clearly stated september and the reason for that is i learned from my last kickstarter campaign i was like a month and a half two months late and um you know of course it sounds good like hey you're gonna get your product in like two months or something sounds good yeah, but when they buy the, the, but, the wrath of not delivering it yeah. is is not worth it yeah so i gave myself a lot of breathing room this time and i'm very confident i can deliver in september so at the end of the day if you deliver on time people will be happy and of course the product has to work like you say it would right so mm-hmm. so you got to check in with me on that in september <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sorry to break the flow of conversation but winston are you staying at like a haunted mansion or something right now i hear like these old creaky doors <laughs> no it's my chair <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> like, what's going on over there man are you all right <laughs> yeah it's the shitty chair i bought from taobao <laughs> <laughs> So have you, you've done, obviously you had a spectacular campaign and you're still well within your, your delivery date. So um, have you experienced any, any negative feedback to this point or with the, the sweats at all online on the, on, um, on either of the campaigns? Right. So rugby right now is going good. And, mm-hmm. um, but with the sweatpants, like we had one stupid issue from the factory and that was like all sizes XL and up were all too small. Mm-hmm. So like it was stupid. My <laughs> I gave them the specific sizes. Like these are Nike sizes. Go make them like this. But my factory boss, he's like some five foot nothing uh, Chinese guy. And he looks at extra largest from the States. And he's like, no, no way. <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to fit into those. <laughs> possible what are you talking about i've been making sweatpants for years like you know nothing He's like, he just goes winston <laughs> winston sasquatch does not exist <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah. that's, that's <laughs> one of my favorite lines from 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 factories when you're telling them the specs of your product and how you want it to look they'll be ah nah, nah. Buha kan. like no that, that doesn't look good like listen man i don't care what if you think it looks good i just want you to make it yeah like it's a full-out argument you know yeah so speaking of uh speaking of factories how did you find the factory for the ruggy and what's what's the relationship like right now right so right now it's it's uh it's in good hands so that's another um that's another lesson that i learned from oxygen sweats so this time around we actually found a very good electronics development guy he's been in the he's been in the business for decades and he's also a family friend. And then there's a couple of factories involved. And there's also the rug factory, which I went and vetted myself. Mm-hmm. And um, so this time around, it's very different because we have very experienced guys telling me, hey, we can do this. It's no problem. And like compared to last time, it was very, last time was very scrappy, you know, mm-hmm. first, first Kickstarter. And uh, it's a very, very different this time around. So that makes sense. So you have multiple factories because there's different facets to a product and the product didn't exist before. 
Right. So who's which is the base factory? Who's the factory that's gonna maybe the rug factory is gonna put everything together or no? Maybe not the rug factory. Like the which factory is gonna receive everything and kind of put it together, or is that going to be a process in itself where one factory is gonna add some elements to it and then move right. it on to the next place? So there will be a factory in the middle that puts everything together. Okay. It won't exactly be a factory, but just a bunch of workers in a in a production line with all the all the stuff. Cool. And and that prevents people from copying your product as well. You know, if there's multiple components and it takes another factory to put it together, it, it gives it that extra barrier of entry. Yeah, it's true. I actually met this guy. I was at um, the cross border summit two weeks ago. And I met this guy called Mike Bellamy, and uh, he's been he's been in China for like twenty years. He's kind of transitioned away from sourcing. He does exactly what you're talking about right now. He's got like a where a factory, and if you have a product such as Ruggy where it needs to be constructed and you want to keep it private, he'll give you space in his factory. He calls it uh, what is he called? like a shared shared factory. I don't I don't remember what it was, but like he just cuts off like a bit of space it's private you know and then you, he'll give you uh he'll supply you with workers or you can bring in your own workers if you want to and then he puts the Sweet. product together and yeah. it's just an assembly zone just an assembly zone straight up that's amazing yeah it's interesting he's like he was telling me he's the only use mike bellamy a few years ago <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> holy goodness yeah yeah you know, it's fantastic. But he's like, yeah, you know, he just does he have of... a podcast? Is, does he have a podcast? No, he doesn't have a podcast. Oh, he's got a blog. I think you're thinking of Bill Bellamy, yeah. MTV disc jockey. No, <laughs> he's the, the comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's um, he's got like a blog. Um, his his company is called Passage Maker. So if you Google that, uh, that's that's the company that has this this shared shared factory space type thing. But yeah, he's uh, he seems to be pretty knowledgeable. I mean, he's been here for twenty years. Like he's definitely successful. So uh, you know, it's a good good business model. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, twenty years is a long time. <laughs> yeah. One of the other questions I had was like the a big difference, I guess, between this campaign and the other campaign was you got a ton of press. Like you know, I'm looking at the the campaign page right now, and there's like the Huffington Post, GQ, BuzzFeed, like. Maxim, yeah. CNET, Global we were, News in Canada, Sky. Like, what? How? How the fuck? Did it was this crazy. Yeah. I was on. I was on the Ellen DeGeneres show a week ago. Jesus! Oh my God, man! Wait, you like, literally you were on the were show? Not me, not me. <laughs> I, was oh. like, I was like, why haven't I seen this episode? <laughs> no, but, but no, no, they took a picture from my product, and I was the model in the product, so my feet. My feet were on Ellen DeGeneres. Show. Nice, nice. <laughs> foot famous, bro. <laughs> feet, feet, oh, yeah. feet are Go blowing on. up. <laughs> no, but um, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to um, really creating a product that offers a lot of value to people. It needs to solve a pain point that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. And I think getting out of bed is is one of those problems that everybody talks about. And it's kind of funny at the same time. Because everybody does it, but they don't really care about it. You know, we yeah. all snooze, and uh, it's just a funny problem. So it it just became viral. And uh, in terms of getting press for the campaign, I had I had a huge list of uh, reporters, huge list, and um, it was funny because I only hit up one of the reporters, and that um, 
that article really caught on. It went viral, and from there, Huffington Post came at me, and then everything else came after that. Was it was it just a situation where you reached out to the reporter and you you sent them a sample, or like how did you establish that relationship? So um, going back to all season sweats, so Van City Buzz really saved our ass, yeah. Because and um, so from there we kind of built a relationship, and they're very supportive of local entrepreneurs. So I, when I launched Kickstarter, this Kickstarter, I went back to Vancouver and I talked to one of the reporters. And they're very supportive. They have written up an article about me. And I was like, oh, please don't publish it yet. We haven't gone live yet. We're going live on January 3rd. So right when we launched, they published that story not too long after that. So I got very lucky. And um, that was my strategy for that. Nice. You learned a lot from the first campaign. Like how how important was the the process that you went through in terms of getting to you getting you to the rugby? Like, for example, if you did the rugby first, do you think you would have been as successful? No, I would have. I would have been. I would have failed. Yeah. So like, d- so despite you know the the product itself being fantastic and and all that stuff, you had to go through that first process, right? Yeah, it's you. It's necessary. It's definitely necessary to fail. And, um, you know, in the short, short two and a half, three years of trying to become an entrepreneur, I failed at nine other things, mm-hmm. including, including all seeing sweats. But I don't look at them as failures, you know. If it's it was the a stepping damn, stone to the I, next, to the next product, product exactly, or project. Exactly. So it's I would necessary. say you, you can feel comfortable calling yourself an entrepreneur at this point, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not out of the woods yet. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So, what are the what what are the next steps for you? Yeah, of course, you have to get the the product into the customer's hands, and then you also have to build an online business, I guess. Right. So, um, right now, I'm really focused on delivering a good product. And really helping all my backers out, offering them value. And from there, we can continue scaling up, maybe getting into retail distribution or other online e-commerce stores. But at the end of the day, I really want to help my backers out and get very good testimonials from them. Mm -hmm. Because that would just help the product so much more. If there's a few thousand guys saying, hey, this product really helps me get out of bed. And now I'm working out, I'm getting fit. You know, I started a business with my extra time, I'm rich, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want to offer value out there for these people. So that's the main focus. And every day we're getting people asking for distribution deals, but we turn them all down because that's not the focus at the moment. The focus that's is what, to- That's what I was going to ask. I was like, with this kind of buzz, you probably have, you know, people approaching you right now. Yeah, yeah. a lot. But- you know, I'm not going to pull a coolest cooler on them. I'm not going to be like, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, I, I, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, maybe we can talk more in depth off off the air, but um, what what is the current status with, with the coolest? Did they ever end up delivering? I have no idea. So I've been following that a lot. I've been following okay. that a lot. So to me, so what? here's what, here's what they're at. They delivered one-third of the products, and for the – two-thirds of the backers that didn't get it. Their excuse is, hey, we price our products too low, and the only way to ship to you right now is uh, is if we sell two coolers on Amazon. 
And with that money, we can ship you one. So now oh, they're selling on Amazon. They're selling on Amazon before they ship to their backers. And their backers are pissed. And they, they've been writing one-star reviews for all of them. So it kind of ruins the whole process. But wow. to me, it really looks like he did price it too low. Because that's a very right. difficult product to make. That did the not... product turn out okay, though? It looks like it turned out exactly like they promised. Wow. So, but it's I don't just They how... probably had to go through a long development process and go back and forth. They probably spent, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's not that they priced it too low. They just probably spent a lot of money in the development process. Yeah, so much. Yeah. That's incredible. It's incredible that they raised, you know, 10 plus million dollars and they're still having these basic sourcing problems that we've all experienced. <laughs> yeah, but know? it's like, look at it like this. This is what I was, I was, I think we talked about this before. It's like, man, Apple, if they were developing the coolest cooler and it was an Apple product, they would spend millions of dollars over the course of two years, three years before Absolutely. they brought that to the market. So, like, if you're going to be the first time, good yeah. luck, my friend. You know? Yeah. It's a very daunting task, man. It's like, here's, here's $10 million, make 50,000 coolers with Bluetooth, a blender, and a battery. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, it's like, it's cool. There were so many products like that on, on Kickstarter around that time. I remember there was a, just, you know, a do everything gidget, widget, you know what I mean? Like this watch that saves babies and, you know, <laughs> dives underwater and flies to the sky and this pen can, you know, shoot darts and all this stuff. I'm like, man, these guys, are, they, they, do they know what they're in, in for here? And yeah. then you would see their campaigns eight to 12 months later still experiencing a lot of problems. Yeah, some people just promise way too much. Yeah. And- <laughs> the funny thing is, like, one of the products that I admire the most is uh, there's a product that solves a problem that I would never, ever have. But I guess a lot of people have because they raise a lot of money. So his problem was, like, every summer we have a water balloon flight, but uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, takes, yeah, it, it takes forever to fill up the balloons. So he uh, invented the thing. You connect it to a hose and it fills 20 balloons. And uh, these guys raise over, like, 700K or something. Yeah, and that's something. That's a very easy product to make. Right. Nice. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the personal questions. You already touched on quite a few books, but could you just let me know or to the, to the listeners, like what are the, to understand you better, what are the, the, the best three books, blogs or podcasts should they read or listen to? Um, okay. So, I'm not a big podcast guy, but when I first started, I listened to Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. But I haven't listened to that for years, so I I don't know if I would recommend it. No, he's he's still on point. He's still good. Yeah, he's still good, yeah. Yep. And um, one book I just picked up recently and it really, you know, made a lot of sense is called The The Law of Attraction by... uh, I forget forgot the name. Law of Attraction by by Esther Hicks. It's it's kind of new agey, but it, you know it makes a lot of sense because a lot like everything that we do, like it comes from inside. You know, mm-hmm. we think it didn't exist before. It comes from your mind, so you really got to work on work on your mindset and stuff like that. And uh, business books, I would recommend The Millionaire Fast Lane. I know it's a corny title, but it's one of the best business books out there. 
and they have a very supportive community called the Fascinating Forum. And they have a meetup every year, so come by. I try to go there every year. Where's and, the the meetup? It's usually in uh, Arizona. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and the author is a really cool guy, MJ DeMarco, yeah, and I can vouch and, for that book. Yeah, and another thing about business, um, about how to systemize your business so you can scale it up, it's called uh, E Myth, E Myth by Michael Gruber or something. I forget his name. Probably Michael. It. <laughs> Michael E. Gruber. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a very, very good book. Have you Have you read his? Um, what was it the uh, the most the most the most successful small business in the world? Uh, I haven't read that book, but he's probably talking about McDonald's, right? No, he was just breaking down. It, it, the The title is actually a little bit misleading. He was talking about how, uh, you know, a small like a, a large company, the successful large companies have a small business mentality, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like that, and then scaling up. So related to what you're talking, about, I'm assuming most of his books talk about scaling and and things like that. Yeah, systemizing yeah. it. Systemizing it. Yeah, his last chapter in that book is what really blew my mind. He's he's like, yeah, nobody really knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, just do it. Nobody knows what they're doing, just do it. And that really pushed me to uh, launch stuff, you know. Yeah, in terms of like the law of attraction, I, I know you mentioned something about that earlier in the podcast, but like I, I 100% agree. The way I like to explain it is... It's like when you're putting a certain energy out there into the world, you get back what you put out, right? Like, and not not just in a woo feeling, you know, yeah. or hum. I'm saying like, just okay. You want to start a, a Kickstarter campaign, or you want to start a business? You're gonna start thinking about that. You're gonna start imagining yourself doing that. You're gonna yeah. start talking to people about those things, and then you know, who knows? You might meet somebody who becomes your business partner because you're talking about this potential idea. So then things start to to snowball. So it's like even for me with SFA. I think a big part of the reason why me and Mike became business partners is because the first time I met Mike, I was talking about wanting to source, wanting to do business in China and like putting that energy out there yeah, in a very real way. And then that sort of manifested in Mike's brain and my brain. And then I'm still talking about business. And then eventually I say, hey, do you want to be my business partner? Right. So <laughs> yeah, it's like if I didn't say anything, if I didn't put that energy out there, then yeah. it's not going to happen. It's, it's really that simple. Yeah, Absolutely. and like, and I fully believe in this boo boo stuff, man. I can talk about this new age stuff for ever. I'm the type of guy that would connect dots that people wouldn't even look at. Yeah. Like, like if you look at Steve Jobs, like, like this guy, you know, he, it's notoriously known that this guy went to India and do LSD, mm-hmm. and he's seen some shit, and from there he made Apple and you look at Elon Musk this guy goes to Burning Man every year what do you think he's doing there yeah. he's probably reaching into the ether you know he's seeing something <laughs> seeing something that is not seen with the physical eye you know I believe in stuff like that <laughs> so basically you're advocating psychedelics if you want to have a successful <laughs> Kickstarter campaign basically. but I've never the thing is I've never had a psychedelic high before but I've huh? sensed it I have a good intuition like it's weird. Sometimes I just have intuition to do stuff, and it turns out to be very well. Mm-hmm. But I think that comes from having a good, uh, positive mindset. Of- yeah, for sure. And I think you know, for 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 listeners who might, you know, listen to to Winston talk and say, "Oh, well, you know, this guy has a, a marketing background, and 
and this guy had this great deal with the, you know, his video crew, whatever, whatever, you know, you can't have that attitude because at one point you didn't have any of that. And the only way you achieved it was by, you know, as you said, constantly thinking about it, having good energy towards your goal yeah. and getting up every day and, and, and getting after it. And that's how, how you were able to make this happen. Yeah, and, and I was slumming it out in a hostel in, in Guangzhou. <laughs> I, I saw there. it. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for a long time. I lived in an eight-person room, and then I upgraded to a six-person room. <laughs> and, and eventually, I balled out and lived in a four-person room. And <laughs> I would recommend going there. I'm going to shout it out, Lazy Gaga. And if you talk oh, I know to that the, Lazy Gaga place. Yeah, and if you talk to the owner there, he'll tell you everything. Like, I'm always in in the lobby just working until, until the a.m., you know. Everybody knew me as the guy that just sat there and just worked on the computer. And, yeah, takes, you got to grind it out. Weren't you, staying, was, you were staying there with Keenan, right? Yeah, Keenan was there. He would be in and out. And, yeah, he was a witness. <laughs> he would come in late, and I'd still be there at 4 a.m. He's like, what are you doing? So uh, reading a copywriting book or something, you know. <laughs> but, uh, the biggest takeaway I would say from the law of attraction is um, you got to think of what you want instead of what you need. A lot of people will say, hey, I need, I need a successful business. I need to be location dependent. I need to be, I need to have a girlfriend or whatever. But when you think of needs, you're focusing on the lack of it. You know, it's like, I need it. And you focus on the lack of it and you attract more of the lack of it. But if you say, I want it, I want it, I want it because of this, because I feel like this and that, and then you'll attract how you'll do it. And eventually you'll do it and you'll expect it to come and it'll come. I think that's a, it's a good place to end it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on, Winston. We appreciate it. Congratulations on the campaign, and I uh, can't wait to see Ruggy hit the market soon. Thank you very much, guys. Keep doing what you do. All right, cool. All right guys. If you wanna, if people wanna reach out to you, Winston, like, where can they contact you? Um, they can reach me at Winston at Ruggy co. And that's Ruggy spelled R-U-G-G-I-E. Yep. He'll be sitting in the the yeah. lobby of the Lake Chicago uh, <laughs> hostel. Just go and check him out anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alright guys And if you want to reach out to us That's info at sourcefinasia.com I-N-F-O at sourcefinasia um, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter Sourcefinasia Cheers Look, Tell me how you really feel Tell me how you really feel I would ask you what's the deal But y'all don't even got a deal Most niggas with a deal Couldn't make the greatest hits Y'all a whole lot of things But you still ain't this I don't know no one Tell me what to do Heard you never claimed the hood Heard the hood claimed you That can't sit well Oh well, ship sail Still mine, all mine Cosign, cosign I pull up and got so big That they try to hit me with both fines Hype Williams, Big Pippin